good to be here. Um, we had a little meeting last week. Oh my gosh, there's a water here. And I thought I had to grab my own. Last Wednesday, I forgot. About five minutes in, I couldn't speak. Um, so, last Wednesday, we had a nice little meeting, and uh, the board got to discuss a little bit about, um, you know, their voting, what they're praying about, and giving me the opportunity to, to take over this role for a time period, whether that's short-term or long-term. We'll see what the Lord has. Um, as I told uh, the group, most, many of you are here, probably a little more than half. Uh, in the last meeting after service last week, I think there's some specific exciting promises that God has given me uh, for this church in particular, and I'm anxious to see what he does. And, and I'll probably communicate some of those things um, over time because we have a message to get through, and I'll start talking, and we'll be a half an hour in, and I won't get the message, and... You guys will be like, come on, I wanted to hear about Matthew 10, not about this tabernacle and Exodus and all these different things. Um, so, we will be in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to pick up where Adam left off. Um, Adam is going to Ohio for some training, um, to, to train some people and to work with some different uh, organizations, and they're going to kind of uh, come together for the first time, I believe, and do some training together. Um, so make sure that we keep him in prayer. Uh, it could be up to two weeks, I think maybe a little bit less, uh, but make sure we're, we're praying for Pastor Adam that he is brought back safely. Uh, and the Lord uses him out there. Who knows what God will do while he's out there on the mission field, if you will. Um, but today, like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, let me pray and we'll get into the message. Jesus, we thank you so much for um, this passage in Scripture. Lord, um, I can't imagine what it was like for these 12 to be sent out for the first time. Lord, so early uh, in their walk with you, God, but you equipped them, you empowered them to fulfill the mission that you sent them on. Lord, so I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts today, Lord, that we would recognize the mission that you have us on, and we would learn um, from this text uh, how you sent the 12 out, and we would purpose to apply these things to our lives. God, this message isn't just for the 12, um, it's here in the Word because it's for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move, that you would teach us. We want to hear from you in your name. Amen. So, um, there's been several of us teaching through Matthew as of late, but if you remember, uh, some of the opportunities that I got to teach back when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, I told you that these things Jesus is teaching are later going to come up in the book of Matthew. He's teaching these principles. We see in Matthew chapter 8, he starts applying these principles to himself, right? Leading by example. Now we're going to see that he raises up these 12. He raises up these 12 guys and he sends them out to do what he started doing. Remember Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 Jesus tells the disciples, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember, Jesus is the light of the world. 
we're going to see here in this passage, Jesus essentially passes the torch to the disciples and he says, now you're going to be the light of the world. And he sends them on this particular mission. The title of this message is, God's mission is our mission. God's mission is our mission. Um, we might not have PowerPoint. It's not working. Okay. So we had a PowerPoint for this. Uh, it just didn't work with the connection to this computer. So all, I have five points. I'll reiterate them multiple times because you won't see them on the screen. Uh, but the title again of this message is God's mission is our mission. Before we get into Matthew chapter 10, um, I just want to give you some context and let's finish out Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35, so that we understand uh, the depth of what's happening here. It says in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus sees these people, they're lost. They're sheep without a shepherd and he's moved with compassion. We would think in that moment, okay, Jesus is going to do something about that. But that's not exactly what Jesus does in this particular circumstance. We'll see he's going to send his 12 to go do something about it. And look what he says here in verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is the people. The laborers are the ministers. The laborers in this case are the 12. This is so crafty of Jesus. Look what he's doing. He's moved with compassion. Then he tells his disciples, I want you to pray to God the Father that he sends people out to these lost sheep. So what do the disciples do? They start praying. God, send people out to these lost sheep. What do you think is happening as they're praying? God's probably stirring up their hearts a little bit, right? They're praying for these people. God's probably like, how about you go out and do something about it? So often when we're praying for the lost, God will give us a heart for the lost. We trick Patmos students like this all the time. Not that Jesus is tricking the disciples, um, but we do like a, a prayer country thing each week and they'll pray for a specific country. You know what starts to happen? As they start praying for El Salvador and, and Yemen and all these different places, the Lord starts stirring up their heart. They start thinking, you know, I think... I think God might be calling them, calling me there. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, hey, I want you to pray that God the Father sends people out here. Now the disciples are praying and they're beginning to gain a heart for the lost. When we pray for the lost, God will give us a heart for the lost. And look what happens here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also 
betrayed him. So we see this list of 12 here, these 12 disciples that Jesus prayed through and God the Father told him to choose these specific 12. There's lots of information about these 12 uh, disciples and we could look throughout scripture and study the 12, uh, but we're not going to go that route today. There's a really good book that I suggest uh, if you're interested about the 12 disciples. Uh, There's a book called 12 Ordinary Men. Uh, Who's read that book? 12 Ordinary Men? Nobody? Okay. It's uh, written by John MacArthur. It's a really good book. It it gives you a little understanding and depth about each disciple uh, because it would take us forever to just go through each one. Um, So we see the 12 here, uh, but did Jesus only have 12 disciples? No, right? We see uh, in Luke chapter 10, he sent out 70 at one point, 70 disciples. In Acts chapter 1, we see 120 disciples there. So we see Jesus had many more than just the 12 disciples, but he had this, uh, he had the 12, which were kind of uh, the ones that are closer to him, the ones that he spent more time with, because we're all called to be Jesus's disciples. He didn't just choose 12. He chose 12 for uh, a more intimate setting, if you will. So in this text, He's referring to the 12, but look what he does right off the bat. I'm going to reread Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says, and when he had called his 12 disciples. See, he called the disciples. And what is he calling them to? Well, we're going to see he's going to send them out. In verse 5, he's calling them to a mission. And this is the first of five. God has called us to a mission. God has called us to a mission, not just simply on a mission as if we got to go somewhere and be on this mission. He's called us to a mission. We're constantly working on this mission that God has called us to, and he's called us. He's called each and every one of us. When you look at these guys, these 12 that are listed, you have fishermen, you have tax collectors, you have... um, a zealot. You have all this, these, these different occupations that these men had, but they were very ordinary men. There wasn't anything real special about them. They weren't like, he didn't choose like scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders and say, okay, these are learned men. Let's make disciples out of them. No, he just chose the, the, the average Joe. And that's what God does. He chooses just average people like us, average people like you, average people like me, not extraordinary people, ordinary people that he can do extraordinary things through. We see Paul talk about this calling. If you'll flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says it like this. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." These are the types of people that God calls. 
foolish, weak, abased, despised. So if God's called us, if you're sitting in this church right now, you're either one or all of these things. That's me. I'm all of these things. Foolish, weak, abased, despised. But that's what God chooses. Why? What he says there in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence that they know, that we know it's not about us and what we bring to the table. It's not our strengths. It's not our abilities. It's not our talents. It's the power of God working through us. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, We see John and Peter brought before the Sanhedrin and Peter no longer afraid. Now he's preaching in power and the Sanhedrin, these learned, these educated men, they say these men are uneducated and unlearned. But we know one thing, they've been with Jesus. There's power behind what they're saying. There's something different about how they're communicating and the demeanor that they have. They've been with Jesus. The last time we saw someone preach like this was Jesus. And what happened when Jesus preached? They marveled because it was the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And that's exactly what we're going to see here with these apostles, with these disciples in this section. Because look what it says in Matthew chapter 10. He not only called them in verse 1, he gave them power. He gave them power. And this is the second point. God will give you the power to fulfill the mission. God will give you the power to fulfill the mission. He's called us to the mission, but he'll give us the power to fulfill the mission. He gives them power. He gives them power to do miracles, not just preach the gospel, but literally do some of the very same things that Jesus was doing. God will give us the power to fulfill the mission, not that you guys are going to walk out of here and start casting out demons and healing people. It could happen. God gives those gifts in certain circumstances, in certain situations. He absolutely still does do those things, but he will definitely give the power if first you're willing, if you're willing to go on the mission, if you're willing to answer the calling to be a part of the mission, and then if you're willing to ask for the power, because that's what he says here in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you flip there real quick, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you want the power, it says simply ask for it. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's a good father. He wants to give his children good things. The best thing that he could ever give us is his divine nature, which is the Holy Spirit. It's his character. It's his power. He wants to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, As Jesus tells the disciples, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the power to come, for the Holy Spirit to come so that you will receive power. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me 
in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I'll give you power to bear witness of me. That's the point. That's the purpose of the power to bear witness of Christ. There in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that word witness, uh, many of you know this, maybe all of you, that word witness is where we get the word martyr from. So what Jesus is saying, I will give you power to bear witness to my name, to bear witness to the gospel unto death. It's like, what? Really? It's like, yeah, he says he'll give us the power. He'll give us so much boldness, so much strength in that moment that when we're faced with persecution, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, we'll be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's a fascinating thing. So beyond healings, beyond casting out demons, this is the purpose of the power to bear witness of Christ. Moving on, back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wait a minute. We're the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Why? Well, the gospel was to be presented to the Israelites before it was to be presented to the Gentiles. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. To the Jew first. Why? The gospel had to be presented to the Jews first. They had the first chance to be saved. See, God had specific promises and still has specific promises for the Jew, for the Israelites. See, this had to happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. In John chapter 4, verse 22, when Jesus is engaging with the Samaritan woman, he says, salvation is from the Jews. What? Salvation is from the Jews. Yes, yeah, salvation is from the Jews. For those of you that are coming on Wednesday nights, we're talking about Genesis, right? And Luke taught on Genesis chapter 12 a few weeks ago. That covenant that God made with Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless the nations through your seed. I'm going to bless the nations through your seed. See, that was the beginning of the promise of salvation that was to come. And he was going to fulfill that through the seed singular of Abraham. That seed was Christ. See, salvation was brought through the lineage of the Jewish people, so it's presented to them first. That's what Jesus' main focus was, doing ministry to the Jewish people. Now, we see occasionally he engages with Gentiles, but his primary focus was for the Jews. But what happened? The Jews didn't receive their rightful king. They didn't receive their Messiah. They didn't receive the gospel, the salvation message. That didn't shock Jesus. He knew that was going to happen. He presents it to them first. When they reject it, now the opportunity for the gospel uh, to be spread to all nations, that responsibility is given to 
the apostles, given to the disciples, given to us. Now look what happens. He sends them to the lost sheep of Israel. See, these were 12 Jewish men being sent out to Jewish people. They were being sent out to their community. They were being sent out to the people that they may have encountered over the years, people that they may have known, maybe people that they just saw in the marketplace here and there. But they were sent out to their community first. Now, I think we can take a lesson from this and see... Yeah, maybe this is the lost sheep of Israel, but how many lost sheep are there in Running Springs? How many lost sheep are there in Green Valley? How many lost sheep are there in Arrow Bear or Lake Arrowhead or Big Bear or wherever you're from? See, the apostles, they were sent out to their own community first. Now, if God puts it on your heart to go to Syria and preach the gospel, we'll be praying for you. Um, but if he sends you out to some crazy dangerous place to go share the gospel, praise God. But we see here in the text, this was training ground. God, Jesus, sent them out to the community to prepare them to go out to all nations and share the gospel. So it starts right here. It starts right here in our communities. There's plenty of lost people that don't have a shepherd and need to hear the salvation message. So let's make it a priority to reach out to those that are lost in our community. That's what we see here in the text. Picking it up in verse 7, he says, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus keeps it simple. This is all you got to do. Just tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's available. It's open. The gospel message is open. It's available for you. It's at hand. It's right in front of you. See, he doesn't only give them the power, but he gives them the message. Third point, God will give you the message to fulfill the mission. God will give you the message to fulfill the mission. What do I mean? He'll give you the words to speak. And he's going to say this later uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, if you look. Um, says, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Hey, don't worry about Hey, I'm going to keep the message, message simple. He doesn't give them this in-depth sermon and say, just repeat this to all of them and it'll work for everybody. He says, no, just say... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Keep it simple. I'll give you, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak in that moment because the same message doesn't work for everybody. So this person might need this message and this other person might need another one. So lean on the spirit. Don't lean on your intellect. He's going to give you the message. So often we can uh, be afraid of sharing the gospel in our communities or to anyone in general. Why? Because we feel like maybe... Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. Uh, I'm ill-equipped. I'm, I'm uninformed. I don't know enough. What if they ask me about uh, evolution? What if they ask me about dinosaurs? What if they ask me about all these different things? We see, don't worry about those things. God's going to give you the words to speak. If someone doesn't get saved over dinosaurs, then they got bigger problems, okay? <laughs> He's going to give us the message to fulfill the mission. He's going to give us the words. There was a time I was with a friend of mine and we were in the mall and the mall was closing in five minutes and I was so tired. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be there. And 
my friend's pretty funny. He's a missionary in Colombia. Um, but we see this wig stand in the middle of the mall. You know, those little, like, whatchamacallits that they have in the middle? Yeah. Um, and there's this lady, this young lady there, and she has, she's selling the wigs. And so we go up to her, we're talking to her a little bit, and we're, hey, can we try on the wigs? We're just goofing off. We're, like, kind of delirious, pretty tired. Uh, and she's like, no, you're not going to buy the wigs, so why would I let you try them on? I don't even know how this started. Somehow church got brought in. And I start sharing the gospel with this lady, and there was information, these things coming out of my mouth, and I was probably a year saved. And as I'm communicating, this girl just starts bawling her eyes out, and she's saying, I know what you're telling me is true. I can see the power in what you're saying. I know it's true. She saw the power of the Spirit working through I have no idea to this day what I told that girl. No idea. But she received Jesus right there in that moment. I'm like, oh my Oh my, she's bawling. There's people coming up trying to buy wigs. She's trying to talk to me like, oh, blah, 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 just crying her eyes out. She's not even paying attention to the customers. God gave me the power in that moment. Not only did he give me the power, he gave me the message. And this girl, she got saved. She received the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying. He gives them the message to go out and fulfill this mission. Picking it up in verse eight, it says, heal the sick cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, free you ha- freely you have received, freely give. He gave them the power. He gave them the message. He gave them a, the ability to fulfill the mission. And he gave them the power really to do the things, like I said, that he had been doing. And then he says this, freely you have received, freely give. We haven't earned the calling We haven't earned the power. We haven't earned the message. God's provided all of those things. He's freely given us each and every one of those things. He gives us what we need to fulfill the mission. He gives us the gifts. He gives us the talents. But what do we do with those? If he's saying, I'll give it to you, and he's give, some of you, he's gifted you as, as worship leaders. Some of you, he's given you the gift of service, administration, teaching, discipleship. There's so many gifts that the Lord has given each and every one of you. But what are you doing with the gifts? He's saying, freely you have received, freely give with what I've given you. Do something with it. Reminds me of the parable of the talents, right? Matthew chapter 24 We hear this this story of these three different men getting three different amounts of talents and we see two of them invest their talents wisely. One of them buries his talent in the ground. Are we burying our, our gifts and talents? And it's speaking of finances, but it relates to it a lot of other things. Are we burying our gifts and talents in the ground or are we, because we're freely receiving, are we freely giving? Are we using the things that God has gifted us in to edify the body of Christ, to edify the name of the Lord? I've freely given you these things. Please do something with them. That's what Jesus is telling these disciples. Imagine if the disciples, one of them went, we hear a story, one of them went and just like hid in the corner and did nothing with it. Jesus probably would have walked over, you wicked servant. No, that's what he says in Matthew 24. (laughs) Who knows? But that's not what happens. They were inspired. They were ready to be a part of this mission that Jesus had sent them on. Pick it up in verse 9. He says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor 
copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. He says, I want you to bring nothing with you. Okay, don't take, I don't want you to lean on your own means for provision. I want you to lean on my means for provision. I want you to rely fully on me. And this is the fourth point. God will give you the means to fulfill the mission. God will give you the means to fulfill the mission. So there was a time um, when I was in Liberia for like 10 days. That's all I could really take. We were there. It was on a mission trip. And uh, for three or four of these days, me and my friend Dirk, some of you know him. He works with me uh, in the Patmos ministry. Um, We got sent out to this place called Bocacoli's Town. It was the name of the guy that, that started the town. Now we walked about four hours into the bush, they call it, and all we had was our, our, our backpacks. We had very little, uh, but we were never lacking. See, God provided in every possible way. One of those ways we see here in the text, Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, it says, a worker is worthy of his food. A worker is worthy of his food. Yeah, a minister, if you're going out there, you're on the mission, you're living wholeheartedly for the Lord to fulfill his mission, you're, you're, you're worthy to be provided for. A minister is worthy to be provided for. Uh, as Paul quotes in Acts, or sorry, in Romans chapter 9, he says, don't muzzle an ox while it treads grain. Um, what he's what he means there is, hey, an ox needs to eat while it's working. A minister needs to be able to be provided for so that they can continue doing ministry. And then he says, but don't take advantage of it. You know, don't take advantage for, uh, of the financial uh, gain that you might get from, from being a minister. You, you don't choose to be in ministry because um, of the finances. Let me just tell you that. Um, <laughs> Any of you that feel called to ministry, please don't do it because of money. Um, It probably won't work out. You'll leave very shortly. Um, But we see here, he's talking about food specifically, the provision that God is bringing to the table. See, you might not always get what you want, but you'll get what you need. When you choose to, to go out and put yourself out there to fulfill this mission that God's called you on, you might not always get what you want, but you will get what you need. For a worker is worthy of his food. See, God's going to provide. The way he provides might not always be the way that you like. See, when we were in Bocacoli town, when we got there, we're wiped four-hour hike through the bush. And these guys, like, they walk like, seriously, you have to jog to keep up with them. I don't know how they do it. They've been doing it their whole lives. And you wear flip-flops and you're stepping on sticks and these ants that are the size of like rats. It's like ridiculous. Speaking of rats, when we get there, they're like, oh, we got a hot meal waiting for you. Ready? We get there and it's, uh, it's a uh, rat soup. So yeah, it's, it's literally, it's literally um, cut out pieces of rats with the hair still on them. Um, and so there's a picture. I think I have it on Facebook. I'm like biting this piece off the rib and eating Oh, a, a worker's worthy of his food. We might not always get what it'd be like, but hey, God will provide and we're called to eat whatever set before us. We weren't going to deny them. They were excited to give us this. This was a giant rat um, that they, it was a big one. So they were excited to give it to us and we ate it. 
Um, but yeah, sometimes the way God provides is not always the way that you desire him to provide, but he will provide. Pick it up in verse 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, um, if, if they're receiving the message of the gospel, they're worthy. Because we can only be worthy if we receive the righteousness that comes through Christ, right? We're only worthy if God deems us worthy. We're not, we don't have worth in and of ourselves. We have worth because God deems us worthy, okay? So if they receive the message of the gospel, they're, they're worthy. Let, let, let the, your peace be upon them, he says. But if they're not worthy, if they don't receive the message of the gospel, let your peace return to you. What's he saying? If the people are receiving the gospel, continue, stay there, make sure they got a good understanding, they receive the, the, the message, they receive salvation. If they don't receive the message, then move on to the next place. See, this was something that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. He said, don't cast your pearls to swine. In context, he's specifically speaking about judgment, but he's talking about communication. And this is, this is the, what he's getting at. Like, think about if you threw, if you mixed pearls with a bunch of pig slop and threw it before a pig, pig's just going to eat all of it. Why? Because pearls aren't precious to pigs. They don't see the value in pearls. They'll eat whatever you put in front of them, whether it's edible or it's not edible. Okay, they're not, they don't see the value of the pearls. Okay, what Jesus is getting at here, if they don't see the value of the message of the gospel, move on. Okay, yeah, share the gospel, be patient. But if they're not receiving it, move on to another place where they will be receiving it. Now, that's not to take, away from, uh, to take away from those friends and family members that you've been sharing the gospel with for years. Continue sharing the gospel with them, but also there's a, a recognition that we see here in Scripture. Sometimes it's, it's nothing that you're going to say. Sometimes, no matter how much you preach the gospel to them, it, it's, it's, it's God on the other end that has to do that work in their hearts to prepare them to receive the message of the gospel. So move on. And spend your time investing into people that are gonna that want it, that are are likely to receive the message. And this is what he says here. Look what he what he says in verse fourteen. He says, "And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet." See, this was an expression of judgment. Okay, you didn't receive the gospel. I'm gonna shake off, bless you, shake off the dust from your feet. This was, okay, judgment's going. You didn't receive the gospel of peace because you didn't receive the message of peace. You've chosen God's judgment. You've brought judgment upon yourself. And he says in verse 15, Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for that city. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire came from the heavens and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So that fire that was brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah brought forth death. They said this judgment's gonna be even greater. Why? Because the fire that awaits them is hellfire because they're not receiving the message of the gospel. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's 
It's one of my least favorite verses in the text, in the Bible in general. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Sheep don't really have good encounters with wolves, right? It's not usually a good, like, you don't want to put, like, wolves in a sheep pen. That's going to be a bloody mess. I wish Jesus would have said something like, I send you out as lions amongst wolves, but that's not what he said. He said, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. What does he mean? Well, we're his sheep. He was just talking about how these lost sheep needed a shepherd. What is he saying? Don't trust in your own means to protect yourself. You're my sheep. You have to trust in the protection of the good shepherd when you're thrown and sent out in the midst of wolves. Trust in my protection. And then he says, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'll explain this, but let me make, let me make the point first. God will give you the method to fulfill the mission. God will give you the method to fulfill the mission. Okay, he gives us the power. He gives us the provision. He gives us the message. We're going to see here how he gives us the method. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Remember, the serpent in the garden was the craftiest of all the creatures. He was very wise. Now, he's not saying, yeah, just be be like the serpent. The serpent's the devil, okay? We know that's not what Jesus is saying, but he's saying, be, be wise like a serpent. Be crafty. Use your mind, okay? And then he says, be harmless as doves. There's a lot of symbolism um, of, of, of the meaning of doves in the Bible, but I want to focus on one thing. Uh, back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we see the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a like a dove, right? So we see this connection between the dove and the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying here? Being gentle as a dove. The dove, we see this picture of the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is he saying? I want you to be wise and intellectual in your interactions with people while portraying the character of the Holy Spirit, okay? Think about these interactions. Don't put yourself in harm's way um, to a degree. Uh, be wise in the interactions and the things that you say to people, okay? I'm not gonna evangelize to a homosexual audience and tell them you're all going to hell because you're practicing homosexuality. Like that's ignorant. That's not wise. What am I going to say? Okay. Yeah. We're all sinners. We all need grace. We all need the gospel. We all need Jesus. Jesus is going to work some of those things out. He's working on sins in all of our lives, but we have to be wise in our interactions with people because if we say the wrong thing, we might push them away. But as we're thinking through you know, how's this interaction going to go? We're to focus on portraying the character of the Spirit and the character of Jesus Christ. See, it can't be one or the other. If I'm focusing just on the wisdom of a serpent, if I'm just using um, persuasion and my intellect and my wisdom and uh, in, in, in history and archaeology and science and all these things to get the message of the gospel across to someone but I'm not portraying the character of Christ, they're probably not going to receive the message. If I can persuade somebody to follow Jesus, then someone else can persuade them not to. 
But if I'm just focusing on the character of Christ and I'm not explaining the gospel in a way that they're going to understand it, then what gospel is there? I'm just being loving, but they don't know that they need a savior because they're a sinner. So he's putting these two things together. We need wisdom and we need character. Okay, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Pick it up in 17. He says, this is where it gets interesting. Um, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You're going to be brought before governors. You're going to be brought before kings. The gospel is going to get a lot of attention, but a lot of unwanted attention. He says you're going to be delivered. You're going to be, what he means here is persecuted. When we get sent out, when we answer the call to go on the mission, we can expect persecution. It's a promise from Jesus that we often overlook. Remember, he said this back in Matthew chapter 5. He says, verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said it was going to happen. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But we see here persecution is evidence that you're living for the gospel. If it's a promise of Jesus and it's happening in our lives, it's easy to get discouraged and persecution can take many forms. It's easy to get discouraged, but if anything, it should be encouraging. That's not the way we typically think. But if that's what Jesus is saying, then it points to his faithfulness because he promised that it was going to happen. So when we are facing persecution, it could be from um, ISIS. It could be from our families. It could be from anyone. But when we're facing it, we shouldn't be discouraged. We should look to the word and see that it just promotes God's faithfulness because he said it was going to happen. I can't tell you how many times I've been cursed out for sharing the gospel. And in fact, one of the first times I shared the gospel, a guy cursed me out. If I would have just said, man, that's a discouraging thing. I don't want to experience that again. I wouldn't be here right now talking about the gospel. I wouldn't be talking about the word of God. But when I look and see, well, Jesus said that was going to happen. Okay, let's get through this time. Let's move on to the next time. Maybe there will be a better experience around the corner. Look what it says here in verse 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver a brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Okay, so we already talked about how Jesus will give us the message in the moment. In this context, we're talking about persecution. He'll give us the words in that very moment when we lean on his power and not our own. But it's amazing how when we're faced in even the smallest instances of persecution, how God will give us the words in those moments. So um, I was in Delray Beach um, evangelizing, and this is the, the rehab capital of the world, they call it. There's more rehabs and halfway houses per square mile than any other place um, in the world. 
And so I'm there, and one of the people that I was with kind of got, like, ruined by this guy. And, like, I saw from a distance in his head's down like this, my, my friend, and I walk over there. And as soon as I walk up, this kid says to me, are you a explicative Jesus lover too? And I start laughing. I'm like, wow, yes, I am. <laughs> in fact, and he's like, well, I'm Jewish and yada, yada, yada. And that um, term, I actually had been teaching Jewish, Jewish history, so it was fresh in my mind. So I start talking to him about the Abrahamic com- covenant and how you know, God promised that he was going to bless the nations through his seed and how I love the Jewish culture and I was very passionate about it. I was excited about it. I get excited about stuff like that. And this kid's like, hmm, interesting, interesting. So he started like opening up a little bit. And at the end, I asked, hey, can can we pray for you? And he's like, yeah, please do. And I pray for him and the spirit's just moving his prayer. I don't know what this guy's walking through. And the kid looks at me and he goes, dude, you didn't like practice that before. Like, what the heck? How did you know that stuff? That was powerful. How did, what, like, man, that was really cool. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, the Lord giving, even in prayer, giving the words in that moment, this person that is cursing us out is now like receiving prayer with gratefulness. But see, we can't get discouraged when someone says something derogatory about the gospel or how foolish we are for believing what we believe. God is faithful to give us exactly what we need, the words that we need in that moment to reach hearts in a way that only he can. It says, brother, verse 21, brother will deliver a brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. See, living for Christ doesn't always mean good relationships with your family. That's not what Jesus is saying right? We think, oh yeah, I'm going to have a good Christian home. And Jesus is saying, hey, your brother might hate you from this point forward. Your mother might not want anything to do with you. Family member is going to deliver up family member. We have to recognize, yes, God is all about family and home. Make a good godly family with what you give them. But we also have to recognize that that each individual uh, might not share the same belief as we do. Uh, Last Christmas, I um, my dad put me on the spot. We got in this huge, there's like 20 of us. We got in this huge debate about creationism and evolution. So this took like, my, a lot of them didn't agree with what I had to say. And there's just this huge debate arose, but many of them um, were coming against me in my beliefs. And we can expect that sometimes, that our family members will even come against us in what we believe. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You like that promise from Jesus? You'll be hated by all for my namesake. This is a problem. Why? We don't like to be hated. We like people to like us. But we have to recognize that Jesus says, hey, you, you, by loving me, the world is going to hate you, right? In fact, you might lose a lot of friends by living for Jesus, but you might gain some better ones. They're going to hate you if you choose to stand up for my name. And he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. What's Jesus saying here? 
you can't just give up on the gospel when times get tough. You can't just give up when times get tough. If we're only Christians when it's easy, are we really Christians? He's saying endures to the end. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. See, Peter denied Jesus when it got tough, right? There's grace, there's redemption, there's an opportunity for redemption. But he's saying, hey, you can't give up on me when times get tough for you. Endure till the end. Verse 23, when they persecute you in the city, flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have God through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He says, when they persecute you, flee to another city. Later, we'll see that Jesus says, don't be afraid of them. So he's not saying to flee in fear, but flee from unfruitfulness. It's not saying when you get afraid because they're persecuting you, flee. He's saying, no, because the message isn't getting across, flee and go to another place where they will receive the gospel. It says, I say to you, you will have not gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is a very confusing one. Uh, the best answer I found so far about this one, this statement um, is believed to be fulfilled when Jesus uh, fulfilled his, his promise of judgment on uh, Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the people scattering. We see this in Matthew chapter 25 for uh, you students. If you want to go look at that uh, a little more in depth, uh, that's believed to be what Jesus is referring to here. Pick it up in verse 24. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. They persecuted Jesus. If they harmed Jesus, if they spoke badly against Jesus, we can expect the same for us. He says, A servant isn't above his master. We're not above Jesus in anything, right? Not just persecution. But anything, Jesus sets such a great example. In John chapter 13, he gets down, he kneels down, and he has this intimate setting with the disciples, and he washes their feet. A servant isn't above his master. If the master is doing this, how much more the servant? So we're not above Jesus in anything. Verse 25 says, It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? If they, if they said that my works were done by Satan, they're going to say the same thing about your works. That's essentially what Jesus is getting out at, but big picture. If they made fun of Jesus, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to say bad things about you. In closing, verse 26, Therefore, this is so interesting, Therefore, considering all these things, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Considering all these things I told you, yeah, your brother's going to deliver you. You're going to be brought before kings and governors and persecuted, and all these things are going to happen to you. When you see the way that I died, recognize that this is likely uh, what's going to happen to you as well. And we see that happen in church history with many of the disciples. It says, therefore, consider all this stuff and then don't be afraid. It's like, what? When I read that, I'm like terrified. It says, no, don't be afraid. Why? Because I told you these things were going to happen. So when they happen, there's no need to fear. Trust me. You can trust me because they're happening. I said they were going to happen. 
Don't be surprised. Don't be afraid when you face persecution, when you're slandered for your faith, because it just means Jesus was right. See, living for Jesus will cost us everything. But what we lose is nothing in comparison to what we gain. The disciples, they were called to a mission. They were called on a mission. We're all called to a mission. We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to make disciples. We're called to be disciples that make disciples. And it starts with sharing our faith. Jesus, he sent out the disciples to spread the message that he started spreading. That was his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan to get the salvation message to the masses, to the nations, was you. You're his big plan. The God of the universe that knows all things, that's all powerful, that could do anything outside of breaking his own character. His mighty plan for this world, he wants to fulfill through each and every one of you. That's crazy. When I think about that, it's like, you know who I am? He's like, yep, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I I know everything about you, and you're my plan. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how I chose to do it. Each and every one of us, he's called. He will equip us if we're willing to partake in this mission. He'll give us the power. He'll give us the message. He'll give us the methods. He'll give us the means. He'll give us every single thing that we could possibly need to fulfill this mission that he's called us to in our short time here on earth. So this is my encouragement to you. I would ask that you share the gospel with one person this week. One person in the community. I don't care if it's the cashier at the grocery store, somebody that you've been working with, um, a friend, a family member. If you're comfortable with getting outside of your comfort zone, go for it. But share the message with one person, your God's plan to bring salvation to the nations. He doesn't have another plan. There's no backup plan. You're the plan. He's called us on the mission. Let's do our part and answer the call. Have the worship team come back up. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for Um, your word, Lord, the things that you say, you weren't, you weren't afraid to say hard things. God, you weren't afraid to tell us how it's going to be, Lord, but you, um, you are so faithful, God, and you have called each of us uh, to be a part of this amazing thing that you're doing in this world. Lord, you don't need us, but you want us. And I pray, Jesus, that each and every one of us would answer the calling that you placed on our lives, Lord. We may not all be gifted evangelists, but it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not about the gift. It's about um, the fact that you've called us to do it. You've called us to share the gospel, Lord. So I pray that we would be faithful to do just that. Lord, give us the power. Pray that you would fill us that we would be able to bear witness of your name. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.